Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This premier independent fan experience podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and brings you honest and in-depth Montreal Canadiens discussion and entertainment. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Pudney are proud to be one of your trusted sources for Habs and hockey news. If you are talking about it, so are we. And welcome to Habs Unfiltered, episode 157. <clears throat> I am your host, Blaine Pudvang. I'm joined now by my co-host, Matt Smith. Good morning. And Treg Wilson. Uh, good morning. It is the morning of June 6th, game day, Montreal-Winnipeg game three. And before we get into all of that, we're going to have a few little news and notes to go through. Uh, but before we kick everything off, I'd like to acknowledge that today is the 77th anniversary of D-Day. If you have time this morning at 11 a.m. local time, take a moment out of your day and remember the sacrifices made by our servicemen and women who sacrificed everything for us. (sighs) All right. So a little bit around the, uh, the hockey world. There was some big news out of the OHL yesterday during the OHL draft. And Taya Curry, goaltender, was selected by the Sarnia Sting. She's the first female to be drafted to the OHL. So congratulations to Taya. Um, by all accounts, she is uh, an excellent goaltender with a great pedigree. So <clears throat> I'm sure that after another year of development or so, she should be able to do well in uh, Sarnia. Okay, now to the Canadians and the Jets. Second round series. Um, so Shifley was suspended his four games and his family was getting all kinds of hate. So if you're doing that, stop. You're an idiot. Don't do that. They had nothing to do with what happened. Do you guys have anything to say about this? I just keep it to the, keep it to the players. And even then, you know, he got his punishment. It was four games. He knows that he he knows that he messed up. You know, just uh, you know, let it let let it roll out. Like, don't get families into it, and it, you don't you don't have to get to that. You don't have to get to that extent. At the end of the day, it's just a game, right? So, trick. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, anytime you involve, I don't even know why people would involve the family. The actions of one person doesn't uh, you know blanket what the whole family does. Um, or anything. Uh, it's like John Lou said in our last episode. He's he's a Christian man from a Christian family. Uh, Shifley himself is not a bad person. He's not a dirty player. Uh, he did the wrong thing at the wrong time. He's paying his penance for it. And let's just leave it at that. I agree. I totally agree. Um, there's no reason for the family to be there. Like I said, if you're doing that, you're an idiot. Stop. Point final. That's it. Um, and more on this type of, on the Shifley situation, that is apparently someone in Ottawa 
for a mainstream newspaper wrote that George Peros was doing his part to help the, his former team, the Montreal Canadiens, by suspending the choir boy, Mark Shifley. Ignoring the fact that Shifley committed a gross misconduct. I mean, come on. And, you know, Perro's playing those 22 games in Montreal certainly trump the years in Anaheim where he won a cup. Yeah, I took a read. I took a quick read over that, and it just shook my head. I would. I, I was going to comment on it. I didn't want to give that guy any of my time. It was. It was pretty ridiculous. You know, we've seen the. Uh, we've seen the non calls for the Canadians this year, and you know, I think that kind of sums up that there's no bias here. There's no help coming from George Peros. I thought it was just ridiculous. I just rolled my eyes. Not I even. Read- not, not even going to give that guy any time. <laughs> I, I read the headline, didn't bother reading the art, clicking the article. Uh, if you really want to break it down, the charge itself makes it a dirty hit. End of conversation. Um, if you want to argue his feet were on the ice, you want to argue it was to the, sh- to the, to the chest, sure, you have valid arguments. Um, however, when you travel 190 feet to check a guy and then put your full force into that guy, um, your intent was to hit that guy as hard as he can. Maybe not hurt him. I'm not going to say he intended to hurt him, but he intended to send a message by that hit um, to to either to the Canadians or to whatever to say, you know, I'm not putting up because he Stifle was frustrated all game, um, and he put wanted to put a message that he wasn't going for the puck as much as Stifle wants to say he was going for the puck. George Peros looked at it. I was surprised with the four games myself. I thought yeah. maybe two. Um, but, uh, first time offender and, you know, um, and, but he gave him four. And if you want to say he was helping his team out, sure. Ah, okay. Treg, uh, Treg just froze up when he is. So we'll wait for him to come back. But, uh, I, I agree with Treg. Yeah. Paros is not helping any team. The league is sending a message. They don't want these kinds of hits in the league anymore. So it doesn't matter what you think. This is what the league is doing. It's not, and definitely Peros is not helping the, the Canadians. Look at the Armia hit when he got hit by Myers. Where was the help then? He took a clear headshot from a blind side and no supplemental discipline. So if you're, you're thinking, well, but Blaine, that wasn't a suspendable play. We can have that argument. But it's obvious that Peros wasn't helping the Canadians. Yeah, Kakaniemi took a shot to the head too. Against Calgary, yeah. When uh, Dubé hit him, and then Evans took a Evans took a shot from I think it was good Branson. Yep. Earlier and in the season, Kakaniemi took a second head shot. I think within a week of the first one, and there's still nothing. So, player safety is not out helping any specific team. No. You mess up and they want to make an example of you, they'll do it. Yep. Regardless if you're a choir boy or not. Like, uh, you know, my na- uh, when I was a kid, my neighbor had never burned a house down. But the day he did, became an arsonist. You know, like, it's just, sorry, guys. It's, there's always going to be a first offense for somebody, and that was his. And on the intent, it was clear he was, his intent was to make Evans pay a price for scoring that goal. And it's playoff hockey. I can totally understand doing that. But he crossed the line. Just like the Chera incident with Pacioretty. Chera was trying to send a message to the Canadians in that game. They were down. They were already down 4-1. The game was out of reach. But he wanted to send a message to the Canadians that it's going to be difficult to play against them. And it just, he, he overdid it. Now, the difference between Shifley and Chera Chair immediately contacted the player. He immediately apologized for his actions. It was, I, I, I do believe that was not his intent. He wasn't intending to injure a player. He was intending to show him up. And in Shifley's case, I'm sure he wasn't intending on injuring a player. He was trying to show him up. The end results are injuries to the other players. So 
I mean, just take ownership of it. I mean, Shifley came out the next day and after the suspension and said, you know, wish Evans well. And that's, that's great, you know, but I think maybe contacting the player directly would have been better. That's just me. That's how I would have done it. He chose to go a different route. I'm not saying it's good or bad. It's just, it's just the way it was. Do you have anything more? As we uh, admit, Treg <laughs> on that to topic. Show? On that topic, I don't. I really don't. Okay. I, I think we've said everything that we've had to say about it. Um, we can analyze it all we want. The actions, the actions of the player took haven't changed, and uh, you know, look forward to game three, right? Okay. So we've uh, we've pretty much hashed that entire thing out. Was there any? Now the Treg is back. Was there any one burning issue you wanted to get off your chest on this before we move on? I think we covered the hit enough. Okay. So we're done with that crap. <clears throat> now we're going to move on to the series itself. Canadians last game. Game two, coming out of Winnipeg with a 2 nothing lead is huge. Does anyone remember the last time the Canadians had a 2 nothing lead in a second two, round? 2006 against Carolina. In, in the second round? Oh, the second round. 1993. Oh, yes. Okay. Uh, Buffalo, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the last game. Uh, Matt, You did you watch the game or were you working? Uh, so unfortunately, I didn't get to see as much of it as I would have liked to have seen. But uh, from what I did get to see, um, I saw a very defensive game from both teams. It was very much a uh, let's not make a mistake. And it only took that one mistake from uh, from the Winnipeg defense on uh, on the Toffoli goal where they kind of let them have the space and you get a guy that can shoot that well that, uh, you know, you take the Canadians top goal scorer and you give him that kind of space. He's going to he's going to burn you on it. And it was a it was great. It was a great goal. And um, in a nutshell, Carey Price did the rest. And then, yeah. you know, he stood on his head and picked up his uh, eighth career playoff shot. I, I, you know what? I thought it was a whole team effort. I didn't think Harry Price had too many hard shots. Like he's seen everything coming to him. He, uh, uh, I, I don't have the high definition, high danger shots in front of me, but <clears throat> I don't think he faced too many of the 30 shots he or 20 some odd shots he faced. It wasn't a, a whole lot. And that's six. the comp with six high, de- high dangers. So there you go. So um, it was a total uh, five man defensive. Team. It was a very boring hockey game. So uh, like it wasn't, uh, but I'm okay with that. I don't care what style of hockey game you play as long as you win. Uh, yes, I am one of those people that will complain when they play the trap against Montreal, but uh, praise Montreal when they do it. So I'll, I'll throw my bias to Well, there, no one, but... <laughs> no one says how, you know, nobody asks how you did it. They just ask if you did it. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you're right. They, they scored the goal. They made them a, I thought the defense lacks on the Foley goal. I thought uh, it was probably a goal Hellybuck should have had. Um but that's what happens. That's what happens in hockey games. And they, they played a perfect full five man defensive team, which is what uh, they said uh, before they said, if they play Suzuki said, if we play as a five man, each line plays as a five man line, uh, we'll get the win. And that's exactly what they did. And uh, hopefully tonight they play with that same uh, type. I hope they play with the same intensity they had in game one, uh, but with the same styles they had in game two therefore uh and, and pull out a win for yeah go up three yeah nine. i mean game two was it, the canadians are on the road they're not their plan is not to put on a show for anyone their plan is to try and shut down what the jets have and they did well like you mentioned with with uh, the lack of high danger chances price saw pretty much everything he was able to correct himself on a couple of plays where they had some opportunity but he just he just moved into position. He didn't have to make any big saves, but he was technically perfect. So that comes with being able to see pucks and being able to track them. Um, I, I, I thought the defense was great keeping the team yeah. out to the sideboards, and that's exactly what they did. The, yeah, they funneled them. And they cut down that cross-ice pass to Connor, which killed Montreal all season and in game one uh, yeah. with the late goal. 
and they they did their best because you could see that's what exactly what they were trying to do so oh yeah no and it's a set play and the canadians are set up for that now there's going to be times where Ealers can thread that pass but i mean it's going to be a lot harder on them and in that game the canadians were clearly trapping just as winnipeg was so getting that lead when they did means that the canadians know that winnipeg is going to have to try and open it up to get back in the game but they never did. Winnipeg never deviated from the trap. They never opened it up whatsoever. So the Canadians just let it happen. They kind of played like Montreal did against Ottawa all season. Once Ottawa got the trap done, Montreal was just like, oh, we're done now. <laughs> yeah. Can't get we by have, it. Oh, we, well. have no, we have no answer. Yeah. Um, and props to Dom Ducharme. Like I'm eating crow here because I'm not a Ducharme, was not a Ducharme fan, but he is uh, becoming a better and better coach as the series goes. The series goes on. Um, he's adjusting. He's yeah. finding ways to adjust better. And yeah. I, I know we met. We we talk about low event hockey, and game two was kind of boring. But the Canadians were able to find ways to beat Winnipeg's trap in a few a few occasions, and by keeping tight gaps, by poking pucks off sticks. <clears throat> having that close support they were able to create turnovers and counterattack. hellebuck just made sure that they stayed in the game oh for sure i mean montreal had what stall had two breakaways himself uh still just... on the breakaway right now <laughs> yeah I'm, i was blowing on the screen to see <laughs> if he can go any faster um uh the two on ones and montreal had this in the game one and that's what kind of put him ahead is montreal gets two or three two on ones per game against Winnipeg and it's because of their relentless attack forecheck on the defenders and on the, uh, in the neutral zone. Uh, they're, they're coming right up on the guy with the puck. They're not letting him skate through. They're coming right up on him, trying to stick check him and trying to get him to make a play before he even crosses the red line, which what they should have been doing all year. But uh, that is good for the, and then when they do get the puck and they're, uh, they're, I'm praying on the uh, weakness of the Winnipeg defense. Winnipeg defense isn't a strong defense, and Montreal's no, playing on that. Losing to Mello really, really hurts that defense. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, uh, Jordy Ben, I don't mind Jordy Ben as a defenseman, but he's no DeMello. He's no top four defenseman. And, uh, and DeMello is barely a top four. If you look, put him on another team, the Canadians not, he, have dealt with this for years, too. He's where a they have guys. Yeah, yeah, they have guys in roles that are above where they should be. Winnipeg with Jamie Ben now is what Montreal was when they had Jamie Ben. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Really, and this is nothing against Jamie Ben. It's just Jordy Ben. Jordy Ben. Sorry. I wish we had Jamie Ben. Jordy Ben. Sorry, <laughs> I, I kept saying Jamie, but Jordy Ben. Uh, Speaking so, of scoring, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and so that means they have two bottom pairing defensemen playing in the top four, like Montreal yep. had for years, and uh, it doesn't work. We know that from being Montreal fans. Um, it doesn't work. When you that's have definitely Schlem- their Achilles heel. When you have Schlemko and uh, Jordy Ben playing in your top four, you're, you're, you have problems. Remember when Habs fans were excited when we picked up Schlemko? Oh, no. wow, Schlemko. He's better than what we got. Well, he was. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I actually wrote an article for a terrible website and uh, <laughs> about how uh, they had a better defense than the year before, and they kind of did. <laughs> I, I would point to stuff that I wrote from that terrible website as well, but they seem to have deleted most of my stuff. Yeah, it's a terrible it's, website. I don't go on it. Yeah, they're they're kind of bitter when people leave for much better situations. Anyway, so speaking of better situations, the Canadians are coming home game day tonight, game three in Montreal in front of twenty five hundred fans. Yo, twenty five hundred will feel like twenty five thousand. I swear to God. Everywhere on Twitter, he's like the new Tatar guy. He's the new Tatar guy. <laughs> but no, this is this is a huge deal. The Canadians have a, a two nothing lead. They're at home. They can they can really take this as a stranglehold on this series tonight. So um, I don't expect any lineup changes whatsoever from the last two games. I doubt it. I would like to see Romanov slot in because they're at home. They control the, the, the last line change. They can do matchups. They got to get this kid in sometime. And this would be a good, a good opportunity. Here, here's the problem. 
and it's not really a problem. It's kind of just Gustafson pretty much leads all Montreal defensemen in offensive categories like XGF and CF and all the analytics. I mean, this is me talking analytics, so you know it's getting yeah. a bit sarcastic. Um, <laughs> uh, although, except for the one game, Gustafson hasn't been terrible. He hasn't been. Nope, that's uh, true. You know, but he's he's sixth in ice time of all the Montreal defense. That and that this is was my point about the analytics. You can talk analytics all you want. The only reason why he's leading is because a he's not facing any of the top players, and b he's getting like nine minutes a game. Yeah, you know, it's it's. I think I said uh, the other day uh, when he got his assist in game one, I said, uh, "Oh, I'd like to see what his points per sixty are." Because he plays nine minutes a game and he has like three points in the playoffs. So, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Like, uh, I like to get, I think Romanoff will be in game four. If Montreal wins tonight, I think you'll see Romanoff in game four, to be honest. Because of the back to back situation. Because of the back to back games yeah. and they're up by three. Let's throw him. If he makes a mistake, it's not going to be that big of a deal. Um, my issue tonight, if we're getting into the next game. Yeah, we're getting into the next game. Yeah, my issue tonight is uh, I just hope Montreal doesn't take their foot off the brake because they have a two nothing lead. That's all. You mean gas? Their foot off the gas? Yeah, because they, they have a two nothing lead. Sorry. It's Burn. But that's my only worry. Uh, I don't see any lineup changes either, and I, except for Romana, I'd like to see Romanov get in, but I'm I, I'm going to play the devil's advocate and say Gustafson isn't. There's no reason right now to pull Gustus out. If you're working to pull him out after game one, you're not going to pull him out after game two. Yeah, and that's that's why I don't think there's going to be any lineup changes tonight. Uh, Matt, what about you? I, I agree with you. I, I don't think they're going to change anything up. I, I do agree with you that it would be the the best scenario would be to put him in now, put him in front of uh, uh, the home fans and I said control last change, et cetera. You're really, you're really able to um, – dictate how this guy plays and we know he hasn't played in a while so he might have a little bit of rust on him I would love to see him in the lineup I think that uh, the youth has played really really well as of the veterans the veterans have really uh, you know you talk about Stall and Perry you know they've really carried they've really carried the load Um, I'd love to see what he can do we were excited to have him in the lineup throughout the season he uh, he showed some flash. He sh- he showed some flaws as as you would being a rookie, but um, I think the energy that he plays with and the physicality and the confidence that he um, that he can uh, that he can move the puck with, this is the time to do it. If 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 we don't see him tonight, I doubt we see him for the series. But yeah. you know I'm you know I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but you look at a player like Romanov. And you look at possibly the upcoming opponent being Colorado or Vegas, that's when you're going to want a, a more physical defenseman in your lineup, to, in my opinion. We said that though about Toronto. Like you, we, I, I see what you're saying, Matt, and I, I, I think you're right. But I, I, I don't know what's uh, John Lou said it perfect. We don't know what's going on between Ducharme right. and, and Romanov. Right. Yep. Uh, and Ducharme said himself, I'm not going to talk to the media about why I'm sitting someone or why yep. I'm not sitting someone, which I think is the right thing for a coach to say. Like, um, <clears throat> However, he feels – I don't know if he's protecting Romanov or if he's uh, – because let's be honest, Gus is a mess is up. We all know it's going to happen. Nobody in the crowd is going to be on, you know, well, they're going to be on them. But they're going to be on them, but not to that extent. Not to that extent. But if Roman, Romanoff messes up at his age, at this highest stage, it could, you know, hurt us. However, the guy got to get in sometime. If the guy can't handle pressure and the guy can't handle that, then you got to know that going forward. Yeah. Uh, well, and, my, and here's here's my whole case behind this i mean gustafson fine he's he is what he is he can take him or leave him but he is gone at the end of the season he is yeah. not going to be a montreal canadian come next year the chances are pff, what like two percent chance he remains or resigns. i don't i don't even think it's that high i'm going to give him some just because you never know what will happen because of the yeah. expansion draft or whatever yeah. so more uh, vast majority probability is he's gone so who cares about his him getting playing time or any of that? 
Romanov, on the other hand, is supposed to be a cornerstone piece of your blue line for the next 10 years. Why aren't you giving him some playoff experience? Look at the bubble last year with the young centerman. Suzuki and Kotkaniemi played really well. The expectations were low. The, nobody expected the Canadians to do anything. So just throw them in, right? Now, they're in a second round. They have a, a very clear opportunity of moving on to the third round for the first time since 2014-15 season. And Romanov hasn't played a minute in the playoffs. If he's supposed to be your a cornerstone piece of your blue line, he's got to get some time in, especially if you're planning on maybe being having to use him in the third round against a team like Colorado. Now is a good time to give him some ice. You bring up a good point too with expansion draft. Uh, Montreal's probably losing one of Sherrod or Evanson. Whichever one they don't protect is who they're losing, I, I, I think. It's if really, they're going to have to pay it's, it's, to support. Yeah, to exactly. Them. I don't think they're going to want to lose one of them, and I don't think they're going to want to lose Allen either. I, and, I don't uh, be the target. Yeah. And so either way, either way, right now it looks like the Canadians are going to lose a good player from their lineup. And uh, it might take a little bit of, uh, you know, additional picks or prospect or something pushed, um, pushed the way of Seattle to, to see that we may keep this team the way that it's gelled right now. See, I don't think Allen is the target. I think, uh, I don't, th- I don't think he is either. I, I don't think he is, especially with how, especially with the, the gold, the goaltenders that are going to be available Correct, in, yeah. in the market. Um, and you know, that'll be a, obviously another show. Yeah. It'll be a whole other thing. Um, but um, with the way that the defense has been playing and you can easily pluck one of those guys out of a lineup. I, I think though, I think that has now become the target. No, no, back I, to back to the series, though. Yeah, well, I was um, getting into Romanov. Yeah, I was just going to say, with expand, you're going to if you lose one of those players, you need Romanov to step up. Yeah. If he doesn't, not saying uh, he won't step up, but this playoff experience would give him that added experience to go into next season and maybe be a, be able to be that top four defenseman yeah. going into the season. Or if just focusing on this playoff alone, yeah, you lose one of your defensemen. You have to bring Romanov in. He hasn't played a single minute so far. He has no experience, and you're basically throwing him to the wolves at that point. Yeah, in a perhaps a later second round or early third round scenario, I think that's unfair to him as well. So you have control right now on whether or not he plays, how he plays, who he plays against, with that cushion of your your top four D getting heavy minutes. Mm-hmm. This is the perfect scenario to give him some time. Yeah. And if it comes to a confidence thing, like I'm not going to throw it out there, but I will. Um, if, it, if it, if that's what it, it's based on, we don't know, obviously. Would they even put him in? Who else do they have? They got Willette. And they, and they, yeah. and they, and they, well, and they right. And they utilized Willette more than a guy like Mete in the last playoff. I think if they're going to use Willette, they would have used him over Gustafson. Yeah. Personally. Now, Keeping with the defense and this series, what, what about the D-man usage? I mean, they're using the top four heavily, heavily, and it's not giving a lot of space for ice time for that bottom pair. I mean, they, don't, they clearly don't trust that bottom pair at five, uh, five on five um, as much as they would like. Do you think that the top four of the Montreal defense are going to be overused and too tired? because they're focusing only on game by game, right? So we have the back-to-backs. We go this is into another scenario. Well, I said, I don't want to get ahead of myself. You get into the next series, they can't continue just to play four defensemen. Well, I'm, t- I'm talking bo- about back-to-back right now. Three and four, games three and four. We, uh, we've talked about this quite a bit, and um, they've got to come up with some, some sort of way to, uh, to pull back that usage. And, and I know that they've been giving more – of the defensive minutes to, to guys like Sherratt uh, and, and, and hats on uh, hats off to Sherratt. He's, he's, he's played very well and um, you know, give more power play time to Weber and, and to Petrie to um, take off some of those more tough defensive minutes. Um, what we've seen, what we've seen Ducharme do is utilize a guy like Kulak or Gustafson 
with one of these top four guys during five on five. We actually haven't seen the third pair go out together very often. No, no, and they're used to, to eat up some time as uh, paired up with one of the top four. Yeah, yeah, yeah but as I said, like in a back to back situation, especially possibly the Canadians win tonight, going into an eliminator tomorrow. Do you really want to be relying on just four four defensemen? If, if they're up 3-0, I see a little bit of a different team in game four um, where I think Romanov will come in back-to-back game. He'll come in for a guy like Gustafson, uh, and you'll see them roll their defensive pairs like they would at a normal regular season game. Um, <clears throat> as of right now, like the last two games, Sherratt played – 26 and 25 minutes, Weber 24, 25 minutes, Petrie 24, 23, and uh, Edmondson 24, 20, 23. So they're all playing just a minute or two above what they did in the regular season uh, for their average in these last two games. Now, in the last few games against Toronto, they were closer to 30 minutes a game than they were with the overtimes, with the overtimes and stuff. But uh, you're absolutely right, especially with a veteran like Weber. How long can he sustain playing 25? We've seen what he was wrong in the regular season of him playing too many minutes and how we were like, we have to manage his minutes. Um, And this brings up the good question. Romanov could have been kind of rotated in here or there any game during this season. And uh, Blaine, a couple episodes, you brought up a great point. If you're only going to play them six minutes, what difference does it make if you use Romanov or Gustafson? Really, if he's only getting six to nine minutes a game, what's he going to hurt? He's not going to hurt you any more worse than what Gustafson's going to hurt you. On the, and on, Gustafson on, on is defense. brought in as a power play specialist. And what is he on the power play? He hasn't done very much anyway. So no. Romanov can provide some of what Gustafson was doing on the power play as it is. And provide a better defense. And he's a better defender. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I like again. We're we're kind of going in circles here on the Romanov thing because we don't really know what's going on behind the scene. But <clears throat> if Game Four, I don't see Romanov, then I am going to tell you right now, you're not going to see him in these playoffs unless there's an injury. Yeah, exactly. End, end of conversation. I'm pretty um, much at that point now. Yeah. I, I, if they win, if they win tonight, and you don't see Romanov in Game Four, you're not seeing him the rest of these playoffs unless someone gets hurt. Yeah. Um. And now. More specifically on game three, the, the, the Jets, it doesn't look like uh, Stastny is going to be in. He's going to be a game-time decision again. Um, he traveled with the team. So he that's... did. He's there. He's a game-time decision. Um, it doesn't look like um, DeMello was going to play at all in this uh, back-to-back, which is painful. And, of course, Shifley's out. So the the uh, the Jets lines they've got Dubois, Cop, Lowry, and Thompson as their their center line. If Dubois can't step up his game, and he he sure he certainly didn't do it in game one and game two. Um, I mean, the Jets the Canadians are going to be able to to shut them down offensively. He needs to step up. He Dubois needs to make things happen. So I don't know. I think the two week layover and everything that happened at the start of the year has kind of set him back. And this year's, I don't know, this year's a basic little wash for him. People are going to crap on him at the end of this, this series, whether they win or lose, unless he steps up and does something big, which I don't expect. Um, they're going to crap on him. And I don't think that's fair. Uh, I've, I've personally always thought Dubois was overrated. But uh, not, I mean, when the trade came, when they were talking about him moving from Winnipeg and everyone was like, trade Nick Suzuki in a first round in Caulfield form, I thought this guy's not worth that. He's at best a second line center, uh, top second line center, 1B. Um, In my opinion, this is just my opinion. Uh, And I think the whole thing with uh, Columbus has really set him back. I think... uh, I don't know what happened with Torts and him or whatever, but who would have thought Alana Dubois trade would be bad for both teams? Um, <laughs> really, let's think of it. Alana yeah, did nothing yeah. in Columbus and Dubois did nothing in Winnipeg. 
Um, and I expected more because in Winnipeg, they have Shifley, they had Stastny, yeah. and then Dubois. I mean, that, uh, that's a I, one, two, three. That I thought Winnipeg you. had the best top nine, best all around top nine group in the, in the North division when yeah. they got Dubois, they were deep down the center. You're looking at, wow, they have probably the best centers in the league, except maybe Edmonton with dry settling and McDavid. Um, I mean, all around, like, uh, not offensively or defensively, yeah. but solid. And, uh, yeah, it turns out, no, no, they don't. <laughs> and well, then you... currently they're not playing up to their speed. I mean, Dubois couldn't uh, push Cop out of the three uh, third line role, so they moved Dubois to the wing, which is fine. But yeah. he hasn't done very much there either. But coming back to his home province, playing against the Canadians in his home province, in the playoffs, as their number one center, this is the time for him to step up. And it's a time for any French player to step up. I they know. Could, it could be it could be like Jean Guy Tournigay, the second, or Le Deuxième. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, we've never heard of this guy before, and he gets a hat trick. Yeah, Jean Guy uh, Jean Guy de Maurier. Are you saying they should start Boisot here in uh, Montreal, there, Matt? Yes. Should they go? Should they go with the backup? You'd probably yes. get a shot. Anyway. Actually, actually, if you go. If you you based everything on history, going with the backup against Montreal in Montreal is the way to go. <laughs> if especially if they're a francophone, that's correct. Yeah, absolutely, they'll, they'll absolutely. easily get a shutout in that game. Yeah, but and here's the thing I'm trying to get at with their lineup right now with Stastny playing hurt if he plays at all. Dubois yeah. is not playing up to snuff. I don't think it's taxing our defense as much as no. it could, which no. means the extra minutes in the long run, aren't going to hurt. And, and the way they're playing a five-man D, like where everyone's doing their job. Basically, all they're doing is umbrella it, making a big umbrella, and pushing everyone out. Yeah. It's all they're doing. It just, and uh, Oh, go ahead, Matt. It just comes down to the fact that they've got the last change. It's, it's going to come down to you. It's going to come down to player usage. And they can they can do that with, with all of their players, not just their defense. We can see we can see which lines are rolling. We might see more Caulfield. We might see more Kakaniemi. We might see more of uh, Eric Stahl. Who knows? It depends yeah. on how the game goes. Uh, right. If if the one nothing game again, you're going to see less of Caulfield and that later in the game. They come out they come out flying like they did during their first home game when they first had fans in the in attendance. Then yeah, giddy up! Like we're looking forward to that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that game six was electric. I mean, you, I, I'm looking forward to the atmosphere because now it's it's not a – the fans, like John Lucet thought maybe it was a one-off, it was their last chance or only chance for a while. But now it's, holy shit, we're in the second round. Yeah. Holy crap, we could take a 3 nothing lead. <clears throat> I, I can't remember the last time that the Montreal Canadiens had a 3 nothing lead in the playoffs. 1993 against Buffalo. <laughs> but it's it's been that long, so long. In fact, I was still a, a raw recruit in the military. I was in high school. I was five. <laughs> <laughs> I was this many. <laughs> Matt is uh, young. Yeah. Ladies, he's single too. Um, <clears throat> but. It, it's it's. I'm kind of excited about this game, but I'm kind of worried about this game all in the same breath because the last time Alex Burroughs was involved in a two nothing lead, they ended up losing the Stanley Cup to Boston Bruins. So, uh, no, seriously, but seriously, it's this is a pivotal game for the series. I always thought the third game, no matter what the uh, outcome was of the first two, was a pivotal game in the series. So. If you give Winnipeg momentum, especially on your home ice, to get them up to one, then, you know, this is going to turn into a series. Uh, like right now, we're kind of loosey-goosey. Montreal's up 2 nothing, and they've made it look pretty easy in the first two games, even with the one nothing. Uh, even with the one nothing, That wasn't yeah. a hard shutout. I'm, t- I'm sorry, that was not a hard shutout for Price. No. Price should have no. gotten a shutout in that game. That That's the way I look at it, like... Uh, I kept waiting for that dumb bounce to go in the net the whole entire third period. I was waiting for that stupid tip off Petrie or Sherratt's 
skate blade or something to go in the top corner back of their head or something but they cleared the front of the net so well that nobody there was nothing to tip off even them they were like all right i'm gonna move you just go with you because i don't want it to hit me either so um but this game here uh yeah montreal has to come out guns ablaze and they have to keep their foot on the gas i said it before i'll say it again and uh, if they lay back if they sit back then things as, as well yeah. i always say you 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 if you play not to lose, you end up losing. So no, I'm expecting a big pushback from the Jets because they are down two nothing. Yep, Their playoff so lines lives are on the line. So they're proud professionals. I'm expecting a big push. Now, uh, Matt, what can the Canadians do to kind of open up Winnipeg? Kind of counterattack? Kind of get things going against them? They just need to. Uh be on the four check and uh, what we said in the, we, what we said at the start, make sure that they don't get over the blue line, use active sticks, use active sticks and um, just take as many, uh, use your speed, use your speed, use your physicality. You didn't it's say get they... pucks deep. Yeah. You, you forgot to get pucks in deep. <laughs> Do you play for the Canadians? Cause you sound yeah. like something. Uh, that's, I that's, think that's I really, heard that on the presser yesterday. Right? That's really all they need to do. Like we saw it through like we saw it through the, the season. Like Montreal was just eating teams up shorthanded. And if, if, um, if they can, they can push that shorthanded mentality and the, and the pressure that they put on the, on the players coming over the line, if they can do that during five on five, which we have seen, they continue doing that. They're going to burn the jets with their speed. And yes, the jets have some speedy players, but at the end of the day, their defense and the majority of their players can't keep up with, uh, with the Canadian speed. What about you, Treg? What do you think? Uh, I think the boy, uh, I think we just got to go out there and uh, hit them hard and uh, take the play into their end. And uh, I think uh, you keep that puck out of the net and put more pucks in their net and we'll do okay. No, uh, <laughs> I think they got to keep doing with what they're doing with the trap and shut them down near the red line. Uh, but I also think they got to uh, oppress. They got to shoot more. I, I find they pass too much uh, around the uh, in the offensive zone. Uh, I'm, I'm glad uh, Kotniemi and Caulfield had five shots apiece in that uh, second game. Uh, so Caulfield's shooting more. Uh, he didn't have a lot of good looks, so he didn't. Uh, his shots weren't really. Um, Winnipeg did a good job of getting their stick on his stick. So it had made them, uh, um, but uh, I, I think Montreal needs to start shooting more, uh, get people in front of Hellebuck. Uh, Hellebuck, he's a Vesna winning tro- trophy goalie just last year. He's uh, he's a great goal. He's the only reason it was a one, nothing game. Uh, Could have been four, nothing Montreal, uh, but he, he shut the door uh, uh, many times, but you got to get uh, bodies in front of him, And that's how you, that's how they beat him in game one. They got bodies in front of them. They got tips. They got, uh, uh, you know, two on ones and stuff like that. Uh, and that's how they got to, that's how they got to play it. They got to play the trap without playing the trap sort of, if that makes There's any sense. A, there is a system for that. It's called the yeah. left wing lock. It's where you funnel players into a one area. So you, you do it, whichever way they go, like the trap was designed as an offensive system to regain possession of the puck and then go back in on offense. Yeah. So, as long as they're keeping their tight gaps and creating those turnovers like they have in the first two games, I mean, Hellebuck saved some really good chances, especially that two-on-one that was created in the zone on a turnover and Kotkaniemi couldn't, just couldn't put a five-hole. Things like that. If they keep doing that, they will get the goals. Um, I'm going to just break it down what, I, what they need to do to win. It's in three words. Forecheck, backcheck, paycheck. It's pretty much, it, it's, it's complicated, but it's simple. It, it really is. Much like Bilt Bar. <laughs> if you use the promo code unfiltered20, you can save 10% from, off of your purchase at Bilt Bar. These are delicious protein bars. The latest flavor is the birthday cake with sprinkles, the white chocolate birthday cake with sprinkles. 140 calories a bar, by the way, gluten-free. So if you have a gluten intolerance or celiac, these are for you. 
How about this company? <laughs> the East Coast Lifestyle and I'll Company. I'll even bring out my New Brunswick ones for this one. <laughs> Use the code, promo code unfiltered20 and save 20% off your purchase at East Coast Lifestyle. Also, seatgiant.ca. Give me this one. Okay, you got this one. Seatgiant.ca. If you're going to the game tonight and you're looking to buy tickets, use seatgiant.ca. And if you use the promo HABS or Unfiltered 20, you get 35% off the fees at buying those tickets. And when the tickets are costing anywhere from $2,000 to $10,000, 35% off the fees is a significant savings. Correct. There's enough in there that you can probably afford to buy one or two beer. <laughs> Maybe. I, they didn't have concessions out in the first game. I don't know if they'll be able no, to No, but later I on, I mean, pandemic prices being what they are. Yeah. A couple grand is a beer. And if you can't make it to the game, pop down to McLean's Pub Patio and watch it from there. Yeah, we don't get any, we don't We don't have promo codes for them, but they're, they're our friends and yeah. Yeah. we want to help Stuart their, and the guys out there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and we're definitely going back the second we can make it back to Montreal. Absolutely. For Labatt 50 and Fireballs. Uh, fireballs. <laughs> gonna relive, we're going to relive our teenage what, what, years. What chases the other? <laughs> <laughs> just, just drop the Fireball and the Labatt 150 and downer. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we're looking at game three tonight. I think, uh, I think we pretty much covered everything we're going to cover for the show. Is there any final thoughts from you guys prior to signing off? So Treg, I'll give you the first go. No, no, I don't have any final thoughts. We said everything we needed to say. I got nothing. Oh, there's a, I have an article out. Joel Ebbson, the unsung hero of the Canadians for the hockey runners. There you go. Read it. Matt, what about you? What do you got? Uh, not to do with the series, but just throw it out there really quick. This is kind of something that went under the radar. Um, Matthias Norlander signed his um, entry-level deal, played for Frolunda for this year, offensive defenseman. It was a third-round pick in 2019. Looking forward to seeing what he can bring to the, uh, to the organization uh, next year, whether it be with Montreal, whether it would be with Laval, et cetera. And um, another one, um, as we record, it's nearly 10 o'clock um, on the 6th. Uh, Team Canada is going to go for gold. It's uh, in the uh, World Championship. Something that nobody saw coming with the start that they had. They're going to play the Finns. They upset the Russians. They just upset the Americans yesterday. Sorry. Um, so, yeah, so uh, you know, let's go Canada. Let's let's bring home the gold. It's the the most improbable um, scenario that uh, I think I've ever seen at a World Championship. But um, they're 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 playing hard when it when it matters the most, and that's all that matters. So. Just that's like the a, Canadians. Yeah, so hopefully they can uh, hopefully they can bring home a goal. I just say, right. say one thing about Norlander. Yeah. If he doesn't make the Habs, he goes back to uh, the Florida. SHL for yeah. 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 So he won't he play. He could Laval. he could play in Laval, but to, uh, his rights do return to Forlunda if he's cut from the Canadians, and at yeah. that point, the Canadians would then have to buy out his contract from Forlunda yeah. with their permission if he were to remain in North America, which is my, my expectation is he won't, he'll just go back and play another year. That's my expectation. Things can change, but there's, there's options for any of the three scenarios. Um, all right. And I've got, I've got no final thoughts other than to say, go Habs go. So I want to thank everyone for listening. Um, we are very happy that you keep, clicking listen on our podcast you guys make this fun Uh, we'll keep doing our best to bring on big name guests and bring you exciting topics to uh to fill your day while you're waiting for the games to start so uh again thank you for listening and remember if you were talking about it so are we have you ever needed a fragrance that matches your every social media post well, if you're on Twitter after dark and feel a little angry, you can wear Fireburgy. This fragrance is available on every social media site. Fireburgy. On every message board. Fireburgy. So when you need to smell like your social media accounts take a bath in. Fireburgy. You'll need no other fragrance.
do, did, will. The Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holawati from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.